Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. This show is supported by LaCole. You might have thought, oh, preparing for the Tour de France, Giro d'Italia, that's all in the past. You're so late to this, guys. Well, that's where you're wrong, actually. We were waiting for Egan Bernal to receive his papal blessing. He did so yesterday, and now we can safely proceed with our Giro recap. We're not going to do a stage-by-stage recap. We're basically going to cheat, and Giro d'Italia put up on Instagram um, a list of, like, eight things, nine categories, whatever, that we're going to go through and answer things like the best attack, the best team spirit, uh, the most spectacular stage, etc. We'll also talk about, I think, Egan Bernal going to the Welter Espana, coming out of, you know, how he went at the Giro, as well as what we expect from maybe Sagan based on his Giro d'Italia experience, Benji. But how have you been going? You've been keeping busy with, uh, well, speaking of a guy who won a stage, Fortunato, you've been doing a Yolo Cometa series on YouTube. Yes, certainly. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed the last couple of days, but I did miss our, uh, our moments on the podcast in the evening. So uh, glad that it's back. But um, in terms of the PCM series on my channel, I've got a series where I take control of Aeolo Cometa. And the goal was to, uh, across multiple years, build out the team and try and win the Giro in a few years. And that is in-game years, not real-life years, because I'm not going to be playing that in three years anymore. But um, it's going pretty well. It's uh, I'm having fun with it. And Aeolo Cometa themselves are like playing into it with like, rider videos and so forth for it so it's all awesome to see and yeah fortunato won yesterday on monte grappa so uh he's uh showing himself in real life as well yeah Mon- speaking of monte grappa nice segue into our show partner lacole lacole and this timing wasn't i think they were supposed to release this kit during the giro but the timing's almost perfect they didn't use the monte grappa climb in the giro d'italia and Lacole have just released a Monte Grappa kit in conjunction with Alessandro Balan. You'll remember the World Championships he won back in the 2000s. Absolutely stacked Italian team. And Balan, the commentator, I think I did a video on it ages ago, screaming, Balan! Anyway, he lives near Monte Grappa. It's in the pre-Alps uh, in Veneto. And they've released a Monte Grappa kit, Lacole. So if you want to check that out, it's at the link down below alessandro balan really versatile interesting rider actually uh the type of rider he is and monte grappa just got used in the adriatica uh Ionica race which fortunato he just won the stage up there uh as benji said so it's uh yeah incredible that the timing on that yeah uh, our velo games italy league speaking of lacole this is the elephant in the room we, we don't we didn't forget lacole got the kit ready my team it didn't do well uh, doc, 10 litres of orange juice. The DS was Dr. Francesco Bonconi. Didn't do well. They came in the LRCP League like so far down and I think 12,000th overall. I had Avonapol, Molima, Yates, Maida, Ewan, Cavagna, Honore, Ghana, Formolo. My best rider was Yates and he didn't even have a particularly good 
year at Italia. Benji did way better than me. He came 23rd in the LRCP <laughs> league. Uh, that's with Cepeda being absolutely useless. How many people do you reckon you convinced Benji or we hyped up to put Cepeda in who has zero points? I'm afraid a lot, but I think it's not only us. I think that there was like this over-the-top enthusiasm with Cepeda after Tour of the Alps and he really did not deliver in the Giro. But like... We're now hitting on him like hard for his performance in the Giro, but I didn't see him once. Giro does not define. <laughs> I, I saw him once. I think, <laughs> jokingly, I think I saw him once on the stage that we didn't see anything of. <laughs> the, the one where uh, that got shortened to um, the Passage uh, at the early stages, he went for a small attack, and I think the one second that we saw people attack was including Sepeda uh, trying to bridge up, and then he dropped again, and then. Uh, he got caught by the peloton and then we got, well, we lost him again. So, yeah, the invisible man at the Giro, but he also was invisible when it comes to points. Zero damn points in Velo <laughs> games. Crazy. But, yeah, I'm pretty happy about the team. I think that the majority of points are obviously by Bernal, Vlasov, Almeida. And um, Almeida's comeback really helped in that because, like, he could have just given up completely after stage four, but he didn't. He came back and that gave me a lot of points. And the likes of a Moscon helping out Bernal, the likes of a Trotnik doing decently, Formolo mm, disappointing a bit in my opinion, and then Merli for Sprint and Walter. Wow, in all honesty, a, a decent team, and I'm happy with the performances. But I do a uh, dream of the moment. What if I didn't uh, pick Cepeda and had gone for Caruso, for example? Oh, crazy. Exactly, yeah. Caruso, I mean, if you'd gone with Foss, I think it was four points. Caruso was really, really cheap as well. Um, I think Nitzolo, Nitzolo might have been the best sprinter. If you just picked a sprinter, I think I do think that the points, I know my team was terrible and this wouldn't have changed my team, but uh, and you and abandoning didn't help me. But I do think the points they favoured, like Chimelai, had it was gaining insane points and i think yeah it was unfairly stacked towards kind of average riders who just kept coming forth i guess i mean that's kind of like the uh, tour de france points jersey but the, the guys that actually that actually won uh portuguese cycling by duarte ribeiro his team almeida bernal chicone sagan gana caruso ulisi and Oliveira on uh, Movistar, Nelson Oliveira, and Cepeda. So he won with zero <laughs> points from Cepeda. You know, Benji, there's not a single photo of Cepeda from the Giro on Corvos. There's one photo that's actually of on, of uh, Tesfacion, but it's mislabeled as Cepeda. So, uh, yeah, he uh, truly was anonymous, and yet Duarte won the full Lecol kit uh, with that team, which is, yeah, crazy. Portuguese cycling, he had Almeida up front, and... Yeah, we maybe we'll talk about Almeida at the end as well, Benji. He's a man I want to talk about. Second place was show some respect for Tour de Romandy by Lawrence, and <laughs> I, I refuse to show respect to Tour de Romandy. I won't do it. Vegan Bernal came third, uh, just I think a couple of points ahead of Ride or Fly by Morton Pedersen. So thanks to everyone for doing that. We're obviously going to do it again for the Tour de France. We'll have prizes for that as well. Uh, it's that was the biggest league ever in Velo Games history, I think, and we are certainly going to break that record for the Tour de France. We really enjoyed it. My team was shit, um, so luckily I get the Lacole kit for free because I certainly wasn't winning it. But on to these questions, Benji. First one, the best protagonist rider, the migliore corridore protagonista for the Giro d'Italia. My pick is Egan Bernal. Yeah, mine as well. I think it's not 
that difficult this one because if you're set out favored before a race and if you can deliver that without well with one moment of weakness throughout the entire Giro then you deserve this prize and I think there's a lot of other people that were just not consistent enough to be called the uh, best protagonist here and he was aggressive too he certainly didn't ride defensively he you know he went for stages went for time throughout the three weeks when it was available to him so you know very aggressive and that's why Cliff me best domestique Enios again Jonathan Castroviejo not Danny Martinez. I think Castro Viejo was more important. How about Almeida for Remco? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a joke. <laughs> certainly wasn't Remco for with. Almeida. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm actually going to go Martinez. I think that Castro was indeed very important, but I think that Martinez on Alpe Mota alone makes it worthy of this prize as well because he was better than 90% of the other GC riders. And basically secured Bernal's performance there as well. We know that his weakness is descending. We know it definitely from that Alpe Malta stage. But they chose actively to wait for him. And it was a good choice in hindsight because he was so strong on the Alpe Malta climb that he basically kept it together and he hammered so hard that people started dropping like flies. And I do certainly want to say him, but there's also like... You can say it about a lot of people. I think Moscon in week one and a half was very strong. And Ghana on Montalcino and in, and in the first week, also very strong. I think that in total, you can kind of donate this prize towards Ineos, but then you're moving into to the team category a bit, don't you think? I think the best team was... Oh, by the way, I had to pick Castroviejo. He dropped me last week in Andorra, so... Um, <laughs> Just biased, so he's obviously the best domestique. Uh, the best team is Bahrain victorious, having made a crash out, still won a stage, having landed a crash out. Best team uh, with Tratnik doing so well as well. I have to go with Bahrain. If your second guy, on G- you know, your your best domestique basically comes second on GC and really pushes Bernal, and uh, if Castro hadn't been in that valley on Alpe Motta, might have won the Giro, it has to go for Bahrain for me. But I would accept Ineos if that's your pick, Benji. I actually had Bahrain written down as well on my, uh, my, <laughs> my sheet. And I think that it could be given to both Ineos and Bahrain. Ineos was strong enough and learned from their one mistake on Sigariala where they decided to react instantly instead of doing the usual Ineos train. And... Bahrain just had the bad luck throughout the Giro and therefore they couldn't reach their highs. And I think that when it comes to team strength at the start of the Giro, Bahrain was the strongest. When it comes to the performance throughout the Giro, I'm going to say Ineos because they, well, they delivered the thing they came for. Yeah, and Bernal, I'd like to say, by the way, he was my pick before the, uh, in the preview, I picked Bernal to win this year at Italia. I think... It's not on this year at Italian list, Benji, but my, I want to ask this question, worst performance, as in the, the biggest underperformance. And I've got to go with De Kernic, Quick Step. I think they had a terrible Giro. Uh, they're bipolar, no clear strategy, dropping back Almeida. They're not dropping him back. Um, is he going for GC? Is he going for stages? It's It got better when Remco left, but I think, and this is obviously 2020 hindsight, but uh, yeah, it just, it seemed like a, a weird Giro for them, especially with they didn't really get Cavagnard and Honoré and Knox didn't get much freedom yeah. either, which I found surprising. Yeah, it's a good uh, a good pick for that, I'm afraid. But 
Another team next to the Koenig that I think really disappointed in my eyes was Androni. And it's not only Cepeda. Cepeda disappointed when it comes to uh, what he did, but also Tesfatsian didn't really do what I was expecting from him. Pelot was arguably the most um, present rider, but the problem with him is that he spreads his performances throughout so many stages that he doesn't have the strength on one to win it. And I think that if he had a... If he didn't go for that Fuga classification, for example, and focused more on certain stages, he'd be more towards the Thomas de Gent with the ability of winning an actual stage than now going in the breakaway and basically dropping from the uh, people who win it in the end. So I think Androni, definitely the team that next to the Koenig disappointed a lot for me. Yeah, one pro Conti. Oh, to Alperson count as pro Conti. I'm not counting Merlier's win as pro Conti. Just no, I refuse. But uh, the one pro Conti team to win a stage apart from that was Yolo's Cometa with Fortunato. So I think if you're Androni and Bardiani, you've got to have a look at what, what are we really targeting? Do they, as Benji said, they have their strongest rider on pure sprint stages going for a prize that I didn't know existed until halfway through this year at Italia? Like, no wonder they rarely win stages. The best break for me is uh, Campanarts and Riesepig. I'll remember that. I don't know why. I remember it so much, more than the Tucker Vanderhorn <laughs> one, just because it was so, just like two guys, like 10 minutes ahead of the GC group, just thrashing about. Terrible strategy. His Riesepig let him out from 300. I just, I'll remember it so much. Mm. When it comes to best break, I think that I want to make a clear distinction between an early breakaway and the best attack in a stage. I'm going to go for the early breakaway right now, and we can discuss the best attack in the Giro afterwards. But when it comes to the best break, I'm I'm going to have to go with Taco van der Horn. And I think that that surprised me most due to the fact that he's such a fan favorite. And I had not realized that so much before the Giro. And... The fact that this person last year wasn't even sure he was going to be on the on a professional bike at the mo- at the moment because he didn't have a contract and then went to Beat Cycling Club and then Beat Cycling Club decided to let him go because he got an offer from a uh, from Wanti and he decided to go to Wanti and that's how he started his Giro and then he wins the stage on day three. What a what a road to glory. Let's be real. It's it's such an interesting story and that's what I think makes this stage win more special than just the breakaway stage win. And, you know, Intermarche, Wanty-Gobert, they've had two wins this year. That was their first, well, one one's an Estonia ITT. That was their only win of the year. Uh, so incredible from them. We had a lot of breaks to choose from. We had, going through them, Taco Stage 3, Joe Dombrowski ahead of Demarki to Sestolo Stage 4, Gino Mater to on the San Giacomo Climb Stage 6, Lafay Stage 8 to Guardia San Framondi, Mauro Schmidt, Montalcino, Vendrame, Bagno di Romagna, Fortunato, Zonkland, Campanat, the Slovenia Gorizia Stage, Dan Martin, Hopsega de Alla, Betiol, probably the, the, the highest quality break win, was Betiol, I think, the Stradella Stage 18. There were some really good riders in that break. Oh, I found that uh, such a boring stage, personally. <laughs> I quite like the finish. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, way, so many breaks uh, winning as well. Um, that's pretty, I think, uh, yeah, that was the big downside. The best summit finish, we didn't actually have too many. The ones to choose from were Zonkalane with Fortunato, Sega de Alla, Dan Martin, uh, what else was the summit finish? Alpe de Mera, which was Simon Alpe Yates. Alpe Mota. 
Yeah, Kanta, uh, is Kanta fully chased? I, mean, I guess it is. They're going uphill when they finish. Uh, so what's your pick, Benji? I'm going to go with Sigariala because we had Almeida open it up with six and a half kilometers to go on the final climb. And that made that summit finish much better because it didn't have really that feeling that there was a group just thinning out towards the top. It more had a feeling of somebody's attacking and putting pressure on Bernal. And then we saw Bernal cracking and suddenly the Giro was open again that evening. And I really enjoyed that aspect to it. Not that I want Bernal to lose his Giro at that point. I just wanted to have as much competition and tension into the last week as possible. And that stage gave that extra because the Giro was open again. And that's what made that summit finish more important than the others for me personally. My pick is Bernal Campo Felice. I just remember him coming, attacking in the dust, dropping everybody, literally leaving him, them in the dust. He didn't know he'd won the stage. I don't think he'd won a Grand Tour stage until then. So I really, really liked that uh, that stage and that, that summit finish. Best sprint, easy for me when Ewan closed down Gaviria. I think Gaviria attacked early when Ewan did that on his own and then destroyed everyone. That's That was the most dominant sprint victory, I think, uh, this year's Giro. Uh, and it obviously got the Australian bias for you and too. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go for Nizzolo. And the reason there is that not only, it's also kind of the story next to it, the story that he finally gets a sprint victory at the Giro makes it a bit more special, that sprint, but also that it was a dominant sprint. It's been a while that we saw such a dominant sprint. That was because, well, he was basically, well, the majority of people were already gone. But <laughs> it still makes it special because it, it felt so dominant. Like it reminded me of the Cavendish days where he came from behind and just just put meters into everybody. And that one sprint from Nizzolo does that. Yeah, it's not the most competitive sprint, but it's it's a more enjoyable sprint and definitely the aftermath of it. People celebrating Nizzolo getting that victory. Oh, I love that. I think the best revelation rider, the 2021 best revelation rider, has to be Fortunato just because he's backed it up yesterday with another summit finish ahead of Astana on Monte Grappa. So I think Fortunato, definitely a man to watch. He's 25 years old, really small guy, and uh, he's out of contract. Well, not out of contract. His contract with Yolo ends this year. Well, a World Tour team. I'll be looking at that guy, uh, certainly. So he's my best revelation. Okay. When it comes to my best revelation, I've thought about Fortunato, i thought about the likes of Walter and such, but I think the one that is a better revelation for me is Tobias Foss because he starts off at an amazing time trial. And we were saying it in the first week, they should focus on keeping Foss in that GC up there and not have him ride for Bennett. And they mistake that in the first week a bit Jumbo but towards the uh, second week it was clear that Foz was going to be the rider in their team that was going to settle it in GC and he kept on moving up he kept on moving up and he he proved in the mountain stage or the proper mountain stage that his climbing is better than probably 90% of the people expected it to be I didn't expect it to be as good as it was and he eventually got ninth in the Giro and that's something that I think the majority of people would in no way have given to be as Foz before this uh, Joe started. And I think that we're going to see a lot more from him. I think that a parkour in a Grand Tour like the Tour de France this year fits him best because it's got so many time trial kilometers and the climbing's more steady climbs without the very steep sections. So if in three, four years we've got a Tour de France again with similar parkours, Foz would be a potential leader for our team. 
another rider, Fiorelli. He came second on the sec- the uh, stage two, the sprint stage, seventh rather, uh, behind the sprinters. And then two days later came third in the Sestola finish behind Dombrowski and DeMarkey out of the break. So that's some versatility, some punch and climbing that can't be ignored. He came to the sport late, 26 years old. I would also be looking at that style right Yeah, I think... I think he reminds me of Aldani a tiny bit when he comes to the top of the ride. Yeah. They're very similar. They climb both and they sprint both. And I always get surprised when they do either. <laughs> so yeah. very similar rider type. Um, but I'm going to throw you to another category, best attack. For me, the best attack was probably in the Alpimota stage. And one would say directly going for Caruso, but I think I'm going to give it to Bardan DSM because they set that attack up. And despite it not delivering in the end, I think that it was so well set up and so well planned going at the end of that climb then actually hammering it in the first portion of the descent, knowing that Ineos are not going to take the risks when Bardet is going to make a move. So really well planned out and they had their satellite rider Louis Vervaak in the breakaway. <laughs> so uh, that worked out well as well. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of them. This doesn't really fit the definition. I would go with Benji's pick, but just something that I'm trying to slot into it is Bora's strategy to attack the other sprinters on stage 10 to Foligno when they yeah. pace really hard on the uh, Valico della Soma climb, which was is still, you know, 39 kilometres from the finish. They paced really hard. They even paced with uh, Buchmann, paced for a little bit, I think, and they got that stage win with Sagan. So that was just more of a, a plan well executed. Best team spirit, uh, I guess Bahrain as well. I don't really know what that category is. I don't know, maybe... Probably Ineos as well. Um, Amore Infinito, don't know what that is. Most spectacular stage, Benji. Hmm, I think. Sorry. Are any are any iconic? Uh, are there any Did stages you, uh, here that are one actually? One second pause. One second pause. Sorry. Twenty-two. I think when it comes to my spectacular stage, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. There wasn't a stage out there that was like super spectacular, but the one that I'll probably be reminded of years in the future is Montalcino because it's such a special setting. And just when it comes to the type of style, stage that it is, it's something that doesn't happen often. It's been since 2010 in the Giro that we had such a stage. And every year in Strada Bianca, everybody's hyped for it. So I think that's the one that will stay on my mind a bit and will will probably be one that I'm looking back to in a few years. But I think that there's not that one stage where I'm like, oh my God, this was amazing, you know? Yeah, I think the Cortina D'Ampezzo stage, enjoyed watching that one a lot, stage 16, the Bernal one. Um, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, Damiana Caruso's Valles Blue Alpimato stage. Scenery was beautiful. I was happy we got to see most of it. It didn't rain. That was probably the most spectacular stage. But iconic stages? None, really. I, I actually I didn't particularly enjoy this Giro d'Italia uh, so many, too many breaks won, too many teams that weren't really interested in pacing back breaks. They just looked at Ineos all day uh, to chase it. And Ineos were like, well, of course, we're not going to chase it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's no stage that stands out to me where I'm like, I really want to buy the archive rights to that stage in the future so we can revisit and look at it. The closest one would probably be stage 20 because there was some decent tactics involved and Castro and Martinez came through in the clutch should, for completeness, round out the uh, top 
sort of the top three in GC. Bernal, 129 ahead of Yates, uh, ahead of Caruso rather, and 415 ahead of Yates. Huge gaps. And this is why I found it quite not particularly exciting because I didn't feel like there was much tension in the race. Dan Martin, 10th, 1835 behind, which is, I mean, that's a huge gap to be coming 10th and still 1835 and then Foss, 1144 and 9th. Yep. What about Bardet, Benji? Do you think 7th in the Giro, he's gone for GC, he's never really given himself an opportunity to go for stages. Do you think DSM will also be disappointed and, and do you think – do you think basically what I'm asking, is it a waste of time Bardet going for GC in these races and he should go for stages? I think a combination of both. I think he likes going for uh, for GC. I'm not sure that it was actually planned to go for GC, but he eventually in the first week was still at the front and he was like, we might as well keep it going. And I think it's more a situation like that. But I think Bardet is at an age where he can ride two Grand Tours in a season. And I think you can try and combine it. Do one for GC, do one for stages. You've got the best of both worlds. And if you notice in that one year that the stages are working much better than the GC, you know what to do next year. And that way you can kind of test out your your own future without spending five years to figure it out. It will take a year to figure out what which of the two is working best. And I think that stages would probably be fun, but he's won stages and he's won stage in the Tour de France. So is he going to be more hyped about a stage winning the Giro than a top seven in the Giro. I'm not sure about it. I don't know. It's a personal thing, I think. But outside of top 10, I would say definitely. If you're outside of top 10 or if you're on the brink of top 10 or just in it by like one spot, then you should probably start thinking about, oh, maybe I should go for stage next time. DSM have one win this year. It was at Paranese in March with Case Bowl. They sent a team of, let's have a look, Hindley, Arndt, Bardet, Dens, Hamilton, Cantor, Roche, Stora. That's actually quite a good team, particularly for the parkour we had. And I know, I think Hindley might have got sick uh, and he definitely didn't perform. Yeah, DNS after stage 14 definitely didn't perform like last year. And maybe I'm being too critical of Bardet because if they do that full Cortina D'Ampezzo stage, which he came second on, he's good in cold conditions, good descender in the wet, it seems. Maybe he comes third. Maybe Yates completely cracks. So... I feel yeah, like if, if if they had had that full Cortina D'Ampezzo stage, certainly I, I don't think Yates finishes on the podium on GC. Yeah. I think that Bardet is indeed a rider that I very much enjoy seeing as well. I think that I enjoyed that 20th stage a lot because he was also one of the active riders. And I think Caruso definitely should also not be uh, thrown out of the window. He did, delivered a wonderful stage that day, but Bardet felt a bit more special because they set that up and it was, it was Bahrain that had to use that move to their advantage. If if DSM didn't make that move, he wouldn't have seen Cruiser's attack at that point, you know? All right, on to the future now. Egan Bernal, lots happened since the Giro win, which he wrapped up. He's visited the Pope. He's had COVID. He's recovered from COVID. He says he's clear from it. He's, I've seen he's at least been, he posted an Instagram story where he's at least on a bike. I don't know how it, seriously he's been training, probably not too much. Vuelta Espana is his big target. And is he not doing the Olympics? Uh, it's a pretty hard parkour. He's a good one-day racer. I'd be surprised if he wasn't doing the Olympics. Maybe he's not. Um, but he's certainly doing the Vuelta. I and heard so he was question, skipping. He was likely is, going to skip. Is he? I think he is. Does that surprise you? I mean, you know that, that the one of the passes is quite hard, Benji. It's not even a puncher's course. It's If you can come third in Lombardia, you should be backing yourself surely for a medal at the Olympics. 
Yeah, definitely. Like everybody's talking about Mount Fuji for that Tokyo parkour, but the last climb is oh, oh my god, it's it's steep, it's hella steep, and yeah. it's also like eight nine kilometers of hella steep. So it reminds me kind of of Sigariala kind of kind of levels of steepness, but very a very cool climb. I think that other people might be underestimating it if they're just having heard rumors about the parkour, but look into it. It's definitely a worth a look, and I think it fits perhaps climbers more than punchers at parkour. And despite it having a flat finish afterwards, it wouldn't surprise me if we see someone like the Slovenians uh, fighting for it there. Then again, they, they just came off the tour at that point, so you don't know what that's going to deliver. But all in yeah. all, Bernal, does it surprise me? I don't know. I feel like this is a, a controversial opinion. For me, the Olympics are not that special. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really had that feeling. And even the one Van Avermaet won, I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, Belgium. Yeah. But I, I, I'm much more hyped for monuments in cycling and so forth. And I think it's just a personal thing. I would rather win. If I was an athlete wanting to develop my marketability, I'd rather win the Olympics over Lombardia like any day of the week. I don't even think that it's close. I mean... If you're not Italian, how many people in your country are watching Lombardia and how many people are watching the Olympics? It's just a no-brainer for me. But the Vuelta, which Bernal is doing, it doesn't have no time trialling. It's got 41Ks of TT. Uh, the first one's relatively oh, – it's actually a little, a little bit hilly. It's got a hill in it like, and you know, 140 metres climbing in 8Ks. I haven't looked at the full parkour. I'm not going to pretend like I have. Pagacha says he's doing the Vuelta. Uh, we've got Bernal, who's won the Giro on the Tour. He's, he wants to go for the Grand Slam. He says Pagacha's won the Tour, uh, but no Giro. I don't think Roglic will be going unless he loses the Tour and wants to back it up. What do you think about uh, Bernal's chances at, at the Vuelta, Benji, particularly with all the sort of punchy finishes it has? I think the the benefit of the Vuelta for the Slovenians is that it's got those steeper climbs. And I've actually checked the parkour and I feel like the real mountain finishes. I think there's one huge final mountain stage, Gamonitero or something, the climb. And that's like a pretty, pretty huge climb. But outside of that, there's a lot of hilly terrain. And I think the, the 20th stage is a hill stage. It's not a mountain stage. It's got just uh, a semi... A, a semi-long hill and we know that Bernal did decent in the Giro on the hills but if I remember just plainly what the Slovenians do on these on these steeper percentages in the Vuelta then that is where I'm scared for Bernal those kind of percentages when you're when you've got those uh what is it Camperona kind of climb um, Los, Los Machucos whatever you pronounce it these days um that kind of uh finish i think that fits so well with roglic and and pugacar if roglic loses the tour i feel i feel like he's going to the Vuelta. that's that's kind of uh expected but bernal's chances there i think if he goes he he's likely to podium but we haven't seen him on Vuelta style terrain and in a grand tour at least and i'm just not sure about it i genuinely can't tell you if i'm like sure he's gonna do well or not he does have also, a big advantage, though. Hmm? He's not doing the Olympics. I know COVID may be affecting him. I don't know how that will affect him having had that, but the Slovenians will have done the Olympics. They won't have time, I don't think, with the Vuelta so shortly yep. after. It's very early Vuelta this year. Uh, they won't have done an altitude camp. I don't think they have time before the Vuelta. 
yes, there's no altitude, but it's going to be hot. They're doing this welter in mid-August, I think, mm-hmm. a lot of it. And I don't think Pogaccia does as well in severe heat. He's certainly excellent in the cold. Now, maybe Pernal isn't as well. But you know, typical ben- uh, welter stage that Benji's talking about. Stage three, 200 Ks, easy stage for 195 Ks, and then they do nine, eight Ks at 9%. Pure whopper kilo test, they'll arrive fresh-ish at the base early in the first week. In that sort of situation, if with equal preparation, the Slovenians absolutely destroy Bernal on a whopper kilo test. Uh, that's my yep. view on it. And uh, But it's still, 21 about, stages. Yep. Mm-hmm. What about the fact that he's more likely to have a co-leadership with another rider in their team? Because up till now, I'm still... Pretty sure that all the rumors I've heard are pointing towards Adam Yates being the leader at the Vuelta as well. True. For Kitcock, Carapaz, four yeah. leaders, Sivakov, five leaders. I don't expect Kitcock <laughs> to be leader the first year. I don't think that. Mate, I'd love it. He's the next coming. He's he's too good, Tom Pitcock. I hope. Under- but- <laughs> Maybe. What about Juan Ayuso? Maybe maybe Pogaccio has to write for Ayuso <laughs> at the Vuelta. And that kid I, I just think- destroyed the baby Giro. I think he's not riding the Vuelta. I think it's a year too early, Ayuso. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he's likely going to be riding Burgos and races like, I think, in Ordizia, those Spanish classics at the end of the season. That fits him. And I think that's a good way to start because he's joining, I think, start of August at Vuelta, at UAE, I mean. So I think those races are the ones you, you got to look for for Ayuso. And I think that's good for the first season. I think in the second season, he's going to be at the start of a Grand Tour. Peter Sagan won the Maglia Cicliomino jersey. He rode really defensive after he got into it and got that stage win on stage 10. That being said, Ackerman's announcement, you know, the announcement rather that Ackerman's not going to the Tour de France, which suggests strongly to me that Sagan's going to be going for an eighth points jersey at the Tour. And I think it's a good thing that they go for that because I'm not sure Wout van Aert will have the freedom to go for intermediate sprints. But anyway, his bunch sprint ability, Benji, to consistently come fifth or fourth, even against Ewan Merlier and co., I think it's still there. I think Sagan still got it in terms of racking up those points in pure bunch sprint stages in this TDF. I think so as well. I think that he's shown this year that he's better than last year, I think. Yeah. And I think that when it comes to Sagan, I, I see a few issues, though. I think that he's not good enough to be beating the top sprinters in the Tour de France, which means that he's likely going to be coming fifth and sixth and so forth. What do you think about a competition for him in in the Tour's green jersey, for example, or Colbrelli? What do you think Colbrelli will do? Yeah, is Colbrelli, is Sagan quicker than Colbrelli? We saw at uh, the Tour de Romandy that Sagan was quicker than him on two occasions. And yeah. um, if, particularly in, in stage one where he beat them pretty, oh, it's relatively comfortable. Colbrelli's a better climber, though. I think Colbrelli's yep. climbing is outstanding. Uh, and it's just whether there's going to be stages that really suit Colbrelli or not. Maybe it's not about the stages. Maybe it's about the battle for the intermediate sprint as well. I think Bahrain, they got a great team to attack early in stages as well if they want to go for Colbrelli Green. If I was them, I'd go for it for Colbrelli. I think it's the best target. And rather than trying to... I don't know, put all your eggs in the basket if you're yeah. winning an actual bunch sprint. So what about Wafanat? What's the yeah. news about him, Benji? Is he going for green? Well, apparently his recovery from, uh, I don't know what it's called in English, but 
appendix, appendicitis. Yeah. Um, well, he had issues there and he had a surgery for that and now he's recovering. Well, he's been recovering and apparently his form after it has not been at the level that it needs to be to perform on the level that they want to have him perform. I think you can notice it on, on his uh, Strava things he's put online. And he said that when it comes to the climbing and so forth, he's the worst climber in the team on the on the training camps they went to, which is a bit surprising. And I hope that it's it's BS. <laughs> we saw before Tirreno that they were saying as well that, oh, he's not going to be uh, good enough for GC, you know. But eventually he did do uh, pretty well in GC that day. So I don't know. I hope that it's sandbagging, but I'm a bit scared. But you're saying Van Aert, Van der Poel as well for the green jersey. Sam Bennett has been cleared to race, breaking news. Cavendish Ooh. not going to the tour. Cav to the tour is dead. <laughs> I'm actually dead. Pretty, I'm pretty sad. I, I want a Cav to go. Sam Bennett with this sprint heavy parkour, Benji. You know, there's 10 stages yep. with 50 points available to finish, eight of which are sprint stages he'll, he could be contesting. Maybe yep. it's not about the intermediates as much this year. So uh, I think... Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for Sagan, but that's definitely like it's more realistic, Benji, to go for Sagan stage win and maybe green than Ackerman maybe stage win. Definitely not green jersey, yep, right? True, I agree. I agree uh, with you on that. Fina Dockerman this year also has not proven himself to be uh, good enough for the tour, in my opinion. Like he's saying that his numbers are right, but the results don't prove that, and it's the results that matter. It's the results that bring you to uh, to the Tour de France, that bring you to the squad, and Unfortunately, that's not there. So I'm not surprised that he's not in the Tour de France team. We, we've been pointing at it the entire year that it was likely to happen. And Sagan also next to that has more the marketing feel. They're going to get more marketing if they bring Sagan and they're going to get relatively similar results. So why not go for Sagan then and have an extra ability to perhaps try for green at least. Like you mentioned, Bennett, parkour-wise... It's one of the most perfect Tour de France's for a pure sprinter to win it, I'd say, in the last couple of years. Bennett won it last year, sure, but I still think he had a lot of trouble in stages with like a hill here and there he had to cross and he had to like sprint after going in the breakaway with someone and then drop back to the peloton. And yeah, unlike Ewan who dropped on every hill last year in the Tour. So he definitely had to fight for it last year and I think... It's going to be the same this year, but this parkour certainly fits him as well. But I think we're diving into a Tour de France preview and <laughs> okay, we shouldn't well, do that yet. I got one. Yeah, I don't want to take away that content. I got one more question for you, Benji. I'll answer it first. What's the one takeaway from this Giro d'Italia? If you're a DS of a team or a manager of riders, a lesson, a salutary lesson from the Giro, which would inform how you behave in the future. My lesson would be, and it's a, a simple one. If you have lost enough time and you're a half-decent rider early on in, say, the Giro or the Vuelta, particularly the Giro, depending on the parkour, you have a massive chance of stage wins. Let me read out the winners of the last six stages. Bernal, Martin, Betiol, Simon Yates, Caruso, Ganna. Very, very strong. Let me read out the guys who won stages in the first 14 stages or 15. Campanat, Fortunato, mountaintop finish, Schmidt, Lefay, Maida, Dombrowski, Taco, Van der Horn. So Ciccone didn't lose time. Now he was going well on GC before he crashed. Fine. Dan Martin, 
Do you think he'll have learned from this Benji? And then if he's not in yellow after the Murder Britannia or doesn't win that stage, do you think he will deliberately lose 12, 15 minutes so he can actually go for stages effectively? He should. Will he do it? That's a good question. I think that we've learned so far that decision-making there has not been optimal. And that's why I'm scared to say what he's going to do. I think he should lose time after Murder Britannia. I think even... With Woods going for GC, which I also just don't see happening too well, considering the time trial kilometers. Um, I think that he shouldn't indeed lose time after Rudbertani. Will he do it? And that's a question that I cannot answer. I don't have that uh, future vision. But I do want to uh, offer up my point. And it's a bit of a, a different one. I think my lesson for teams from this Giro, my takeaway is if you're a team manager and you've got Almeida and Remco in your team, don't start talking about the contract of one of those two riders the day before the Giro starts because you're dooming your own Giro. I think that the fact that the Koenig underperformed is about half because Lefebvre did that before the Giro. I think that you're basically dropping a bomb on your rider just before the Giro starts and that's not okay. And that also creates even more tension between Remco and Almeida and between the fan bases of the two because you had Portuguese people shitting on Remco during the you had Belgian people shitting on Almeida during the Giro. That's what that creates, that tension. That's not necessary. That not only hurts Almeida that you do it, but that triggers Portuguese people to dislike Remco more. And as a consequence, you're basically hurting your own rider. And that's that's just dumb. That's just dumb. Yeah, that was that was pretty poor management. Uh, we don't, we'll never know maybe whether that played into Almeida losing so much time on stage four, but um, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I think it's also a lesson in having two leaders is difficult, and you need to have a really strong structure, good and like a good relationship between those yeah. riders, like Ineos ha- will hopefully have for their sake in the Tour de France. I think two leaders is not as easy, or two guys who are ambitious is not yeah. as easy as it looks. Uh, and Caruso and, and Bilbao, they make it look easy for Lando last year in the Tour, and you suddenly see Caruso is actually really good. And but he, you know, it, it looks they make it look easy, Bahrain last year. So yeah, that's that's a good lesson as well. Maybe don't wind up your riders in the media but that's our Giro recap let us know in the comments down below if you're watching on YouTube or tweet at us at the Atlantan Rouge CP what do you what were your highlights from the Giro what were your takeaways did you enjoy it did you think it was a bit of a grind were there was the GC battle a bit of a fizzler is Bernal absolutely back does it change your view on how he fares could fare against the Pagacha and Roglic we won't see at the Tour de France unfortunately but yeah, he's certainly he's got two Grand Tour wins now and he's only still like 20, <laughs> 24 Crazy. years old. So, yeah, excellent from him. But, yeah, any last thoughts on the Giro, Benji? Did you like it? I enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. I think that it's definitely not the best Giro we had, certainly. But I, um, I'm happy that we had it and I always enjoyed the Giro. I, it's more the community feeling surrounding it that makes it for me and not only the performances. Uh, I had a, a lovely time with LRCP doing it. Again, I do want to thank every single one of you for the support we had on the Giro because it's amazing like doing this stuff and it's great to be able to make a passion into something that is part of your living and that's what this podcast is also doing. So it it's great to do and it's fun to do and we try and uh, yeah, your your support is what drives us to to make it better and better every time. 
I remember it as the Grand Tour. I moved from Australia mid race to Andorra, and I only missed a one rest day recap. So yeah, Tour de France will be bigger and better. We can't wait. But thanks for this long awaited Giro recap. Congrats to the Vela Games. One, two, three. I'll be coming for you in the Tour. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 